Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. I hope you are all having a super fantastic day, wherever it is that you are. Currently, we are in the middle of winter and it is really, really chilly today where I am. But there was nothing better to warm us up than this lovely, warm conversation with an amazing human who is also the CEO of 1% for the Planet, which was founded in 2002. And it is a global movement that inspire businesses and individuals to support environmental solutions. Now, her relentless dedication to environmental sustainability has made her a driving force in corporate responsibility. So during this episode, we talked about what exactly is 1% for the planet. So whenever you see that logo on any product, you know what is the process behind it, as well as the credibility that it carries and how you can actually get that certification process going. What type of organizations actually form part of the 1% for the planet network And we also digged into some of Kate's goals and aspirations as CEO and the involvement of the environment over the last two decades since 1% of the planet was founded. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Kate Williams. Kate, how did your sustainable journey actually start? Yeah, I actually have a moment. I feel like in so much of life, things evolve gradually. But in terms of this, I actually have a moment. I was 18 and got to spend some time in the big mountains in Wyoming, which is in the Western United States. And I really fell in love with the big wild outdoors and with the process of kind of navigating the challenges of being in the outdoors with a group of people. I was on a in a group program and so we had a lot of challenges on that trip, including deep snowpack and instructor who broke his leg. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I was called on to, in that context, to be more of a leader than I thought I could be at age 18. And the kind of end result was that once we had managed the evacuation and I was standing in a mountain pass, looking at a beautiful sunset, watching a helicopter take off with our injured instructor and was tired and wet and hungry and all the things, I realized I am so happy. I love this. And this is what I want to do with my life. And I didn't know exactly what this meant, but it was that combination of caring for and being connected to wild places and engaging with other people and sort of aligning them toward a shared goal. And that truly has been, those have been the threads for my career um, and have really informed and kept me on a path that has been connected to sustainability. That's so interesting. And I mean, your entire career, you've been pretty much in environmental roles and sustainabilities, the core of what it is that you do. And you are currently the CEO of an amazing organization that I just love, 
1% for the planet. Can you share with our crazy birds, like what exactly is 1% for the planet? Absolutely. So 1% for the planet is a big global effort to align people around change. So, you know, connecting to that moment that I had. And we were founded by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, about 20 years ago. And our model engages businesses in giving their 1%, 1% of revenues to environmental partners or nonprofits, depending on what they're called in your country. So it's a very simple model. And of course, most simple things have a lot of complexity underlying them, but we really keep it focused on that act of developing a direct giving partnership between the business and the environmental partner, and then building from there. And we have more than 5,700 members globally, business members globally. So there's a lot of partners and a lot, a lot of partnerships and a lot of really powerful giving happening around the globe through our model. That's really fascinating. Going back to the founders, to amazing people. And for our crazy birds, if you have not read Yvonne's book, Let My People Go Surfing, I'm going to link it up in our show notes because I highly recommend it. It is just so inspiring to also see how... 1% for the planet was started as well, uh, which is being touched in there. And I mean, for me, the name is also quite interesting because like 1%, why not 2%? Why was it 1%? That's a great question. And we get asked that a lot. And, you know, sometimes it's asked like it should be more, you know, and others is just why 1%. And, you know, really, I think there are two reasons. One is that 1% of revenues. So this is not 1% of your profits. This is 1% of your like, total revenues is a pretty big number. So it's a real commitment. And at the same time, it's also doable. It's, you know, it is not so big that it's beyond what anyone could do. So it's a realistic, aspirational type of goal. The other thing is, it's just very simple to do the math, to have it in your head, to kind of understand it. And so I think the combination of a, a real commitment and simplicity make it attainable. And so we can really develop this collective action model of many different members making the 1% commitment and joining together and driving big change. That, like you've mentioned, it is the gross sales. So it's like everything, because I think a lot of organizations are like, oh, you know, we donate 10% of our profits, but 10% of nothing is still nothing. So I feel it is so important for us to fully comprehend and understand, you know, what is that 1% and that, you know, it might seem a little, but it can really have a lot of impact. And there's so many amazing businesses. You've just mentioned, you know, over 5,000 members that you guys have. How can businesses actually become members of 1% for the planet? So sticking with the theme of like keeping it simple, but orienting towards driving big change, we, we make it pretty simple for members to join. And so they can go to our website, click on the join link, fill out a very simple form that doesn't commit you to membership, but it gets you into the conversation with our team. And then from there, it's simple steps to pay a small dues fee, which is part of the 1% to sign a membership agreement, which just agrees that you're making that commitment and also provides the licensing agreement to use the logo. And then you're a member and you have your whole first year to figure out who you're going to give to. And that's, that's a really important piece of it. You don't have to have done the 1% already to join. You can join. And then that's when you get to work with our team and learn about strategic partnerships and figure out like what's the giving that's going to really add 
the most lift to your business and help you to tell the brand stories that you want to tell, help you to solve the operational challenges you're working through, you know, whatever it may be, every company does, it has a different giving approach and different giving story. And we're able to support all of that. So is the organizations then directly giving or donating to these organizations or, you know, does it all go through? Like what, what is kind of the process there? Yes. Such an important question because we we made the very intentional choice when we were founded at our founding not to operate like a foundation, which means we don't take all the money in and then distribute it on behalf of our members because that kind of puts us in the way. We block the partnership and we also create a lot of friction on the money, more overhead, all the things that we do not want to do. What we really want to keep the focus on is direct partnerships between businesses and the nonprofits they choose to give to and keeping as much money as possible flowing from the businesses to their partners. So the only money that comes to us is the dues fee, which is a part of the 1%. And then all other giving happens directly from the member to the nonprofit. And then what we do at the end of each year, at the end of each business's fiscal year, is we certify that giving. And so we have a process where businesses submit the receipts of the donations that they've made, and they also submit documentation of their revenue. And then we do the math and then they're certified and then another year happens. And so it's a really partnership focused, credible model. Every single member who's using the 1% logo has been through this annual certification process. And is that just through your organization or is there like a independent third party that also does, you know, some certification to make sure that whenever someone puts that logo on, they have actually done that. And it's not just, you know, a logo that doesn't bear a lot of credibility. Yeah, no, we are the third party. So we are the third party certifier because the businesses are giving to the nonprofits and they have to provide the documentation of revenue has to be from either a tax accountant or their tax form. So it has to be something that's not self-reported. So that is one way we build it in. And then the, the receipts of giving are coming from the nonprofits. And so we record all of that, store all that data in Salesforce, and that's the certification. So we are ensuring that that third party, which is us, logo use is always verified each year. Oh, that, that's amazing. And every business has an impact. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a positive or a negative, it has an impact on the environment. And having a certification logo like 1% for the planet makes a lot of products more attractive to buy. And I mean, I'm a millennial and that is something that, you know, a lot of us are focusing on. Have you found that members joined because it is good for business and then they started adopting more sustainability practices as, you know, they become more aware of the work that you guys are doing as well as the uh, organizations that they will be giving their 1% to? Yeah, that's a fabulous question because we really, our goal is that it is both good for business and good for the planet, that it's not a trade-off, that you're not sort of saying, well, we don't know if this is good for business, but we're going to see, but we want to do it anyway. We really want for companies to say, absolutely, good for business, good for the planet, good for people. What's really cool is we do find that you know companies join for a bunch of different reasons. Some of them, it's their first step on the sustainability journey. Others, it's you know, uh, it gives them a simpler way to communicate a journey that they've been on for a while. There's a, a wide variety of reasons that people join, including the business case, including connecting to their customers. And 
wherever you join, wherever on the journey these businesses join, we do find that the community, which is such an amazing community of businesses, creates this wonderful positive peer pressure that almost every business then gets ideas and takes the next step and the next step. And so it is a really powerful community that creates a way for every business to move further along their sustainability journey. Oh, that's so important. And I mean, having that community building around it just drives even more. So is 1% for the planet only for businesses or can individuals also give their share? Yeah, individuals can definitely participate. We no longer have a a 1% membership model for individuals because we learned that individuals are, you know, a little more sort of free flowing in terms of how they want to connect. But we have really powerful ways for individuals to participate and be part of the community. And really, there's two main pathways. One is individuals can give directly to 1% for the planet. We do have to do some fundraising in order to build our global model. And so uh, individuals who are interested in participating in that kind of systems building work are, can make donations directly to us. We also have a pretty new program called our Planet Impact Fund, and individuals can donate to that to drive direct impact. So it's a kind of dual impact fund. Donations are made to the fund and they are invested for positive impact. And then annually, once a year, we make a donation to a portfolio of nonprofits of 10% of that total fund. So it's both invested for positive outcomes as well as donated for positive outcomes. And that's a really exciting opportunity for individuals and businesses, actually. Yeah, oh, that's great. And I've just recently invested in a in a chocolate company. And every time I'm walking, you know, down the, the aisles and I see the chocolate, I'm like, you know, repacking the shelves, making sure it looks nice and be so proud of some of the like stuff. And one of the things that I am recommending is to also join 1% of the planet in the future. So future goals. But have you ever found yourself like going through some of the stores or looking out for that 1% for the Planet logo? And like, what feeling would you describe, you know, looking at that and knowing exactly what that logo means? Yeah, oh, I definitely, you know, look at, I look at our directory because what's really cool about 1% is you can clothe yourself from the skin out. You can get life insurance. You can find a bank. You can, you know, stock your pantry. That can all be 1%, which is so cool. I love that. And, you know, I think for me, the, the kind of feeling, and it really is a feeling when I see a brand that has the 1% logo and we're now so big that I don't always, you know, I don't have all 5,500 members in my head. And so when I see a logo, particularly when it's a company that I, you know, I'm not yet familiar with, I find it really moving because I'm aware, I know what a big commitment it is. And I know that, you know, I've also, you know, had a small business and basically I'm running a small business with 1% for the planet. I know these decisions are really hard to make and it takes financial discipline and it takes strategic vision and it it's not a small thing. So I feel really moved and I feel really connected. So it like builds this relationship because it's like, okay, we share this commitment. And so, you know, so it makes me commit to these brands too, because I kind of like want, want to support them, want to see them succeed because I, I'm so deeply aware of what a big commitment it is. I love that. And these organizations that is being supported through this, like what type of environmental organizations form part of the 1% for the planet network? Yeah, I love that question because that's a 
huge part of what we do. You know, we've talked about the businesses giving and we've talked about the partnerships and to have a partnership, you have to have that, you know, the other side of it. And we really invest a lot in that. So we have four impact areas that we've created to kind of organize how we think about environmental nonprofits. And we've really worked hard to expand the definition of environmental to really represent our why, which is that we're seeking a thriving future for people and planet. So both. So what we've created with these impact areas, which are just economies, resilient communities, conservation and restoration and rights to nature is a way of thinking about environmentalism that really is inclusive of direct protection of wild places, sort of what you might call the more traditional environmentalism, which we absolutely need. We need protected habitats for biodiversity, for things we don't even know yet, we, for itself. But we also, there's so much powerful work to be done in communities that are impacted by climate change and in the places where, you know, people and the planet are sort of rubbing up against each other and figuring out how to coexist and how can we make that healthy. So we're really working across all of that. And those those impact areas help us and our members to sort of understand where they want to allocate their focus. And how do you like determine the eligibility of these organizations? Because I mean, can't just like rock up and say, hey, you know, I want to be one of your organizations because they obviously have to go through a vetted program as well. Definitely. And that's one of the values that we offer to our community is that we have eligibility guidelines and we we leaned on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So we have a framework that builds those in, not all of them, but but most of them. And we really use those to guide that expanded definition of environmental as well as some other sort of filters. And then we kind of have stages that we bring the nonprofits through. They They fill out a questionnaire. We're able to assess if they meet our eligibility guidelines. And then we once they're approved, we, we seek to really gather a lot of information about them so that we can provide great recommendations to our businesses and also just have great solid information about the impact. And there are other interesting things too about like, is this a nonprofit that can help a business tell stories or is it, you know, do they have that capacity? Do they have reach? So we're able to really have a good understanding of each of the nonprofits and then that helps to develop the partnerships that are best fit. I think that is so important because having organizations that's kind of on board with what you're doing as well and giving back in that way, I just think it's it's just, you know, it will thrive and it will be beneficial for both partners. How does this commitment make a tangible impact on the planet? And can you maybe share with us some of the most successful initiatives or projects that has been supported by 1% for the planet? Absolutely. So at a high level, we're every year we, we sort of talk about our impact in, in aggregate in terms of the certified dollars. So the amount of giving that we have certified. So we are now at the point where over the lifetime since we were founded, We've certified half a billion dollars, U.S. dollars in giving. And that's what I love about that number. And I will talk about specific impact. But what I love about that number is it's this amazing democratic number in that it's the cumulative 1% of our smallest company and our biggest company. And they can all kind of lay equal claim to that number because everyone is proportionally given the same amount. So it's this wonderful example of collective impact all consolidated into one beautiful number. So half a billion um, lifetime giving at this stage. And that is made up of literally thousands of partnerships. And so the impact is 
very specific in some cases and tiny and super local, like supporting cleanup effort on a local beach. That is the town beach that people in that community go to. So, you know, say this beach is in California, not something that you in Perth would necessarily know about, but it's like they're able to measure the, you know, poundage of trash that is removed. And that has meaning. At a larger scale, we have large companies like Caudalie, which is a large skincare brand, a global skincare brand. And they've focused on tree planting as a climate mitigation effort. And they've planted 10 million trees with strong nonprofits who are tracking those trees and doing you know, really great effort to make sure that those are truly lasting contributions to carbon sequestration. So that's one really tangible example. We do encourage and support unrestricted giving. So sometimes, and particularly this is true in climate, a donation to a nonprofit today may not have like measurable impact in terms of carbon or, you know, metric tons or those measurable outcomes until three or four years from now. But it's really critical to make the philanthropic investment now to get that work underway. And so, you know, sometimes there's also a time lag. So we really support companies in understanding what they expect in terms of metrics, what they need, what timeline they're on, what kind of change they're trying to drive. And then we help them to surface and tell those stories through the partnerships that they that they lean into. I think that is so important. And I mean, that kind of reminds me about that quote, like, when is the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday or 20 years ago and the second best times today. That's sometimes the thing. We don't always see what our actions might have, you know, in like the short term, but there's so many good that these actions can have. And I mean, there's just so many amazing organizations that you guys have. And I really urge all of our crazy birds to go on your website and have a look at some of them because their stories are just really, really amazing. And the the changes that they are doing, you know, for not just environmental, but there's also uh, social aspects as well that you guys have been uh, focusing on. And can you like share with us, what is your thoughts on the intersection of social justice and environmentalism, and how are these issues actually connected? Yeah, another great question. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, we're really seeking to expand the definition of environmentalism, which is largely an effort to change the story or change the narrative around the fact that there's social issues and there's environmental issues. Humans are beings that are part of the earth, (laughs) We are not connected. I think a lot of our advancement, I'm trying to think of words that are not like linear or positive in the sense that, you know, I think as we have become more, quote, civilized, we have also become, we have perceived ourselves as more disconnected from nature when in fact we continue to be beings that are part of the earth. And so I think what we are trying to do in terms of how we think about environmentalism is really bring that to life in the tangible, real ways that it shows up. So We certify giving for things like food banks is one great example. And we used to not do that because that was seen as social giving. But as we really dug into it, it's like, okay, food banks, many of whom stated mission is to alleviate hunger, are also removing food from the waste stream, which has a significant reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. And so we are able to say, even if that nonprofit is not sort of claiming that as their primary impact, if their stated impact is focusing on feeding the hungry, but it also has this reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, 
that's environmental giving too. And so we're, we're going to include that. So we really are challenged ourselves and we feel like we have an opportunity to kind of change the narrative about environmental giving. And I, I've lately been trying to sort of stay away from the term intersectional because it implies that they're just like passing for this brief moment and think of it more as connective tissue um, or, you know, really integrated giving because it's, again, humans and our actions are part of the functioning of the earth and we're not separate. And so when we do giving that's community-based and is sort of working at the sort of human level to address how we live on the earth and in ways that, you know, have environmental impacts, that's really important because that's part of how we are connecting social and environmental issues um, in a real way. I mean, a lot of the times we find that, especially bigger corporations that might think, oh, you know, we, we're above all this, you know, we're above nature. And I would love to see them count all their money if there's no oxygen for them to breathe. And we basically, we, we're reliant on planet. And I mean, the planet doesn't need us to survive. Like, you know, she, she'll be okay, but we definitely need her. And I think just a couple of days ago, I actually saw on LinkedIn, someone was looking at uh, different like corporate logos and like saying like, can you identify these logos? And they were all like kind of just like the outline. And then on the other side, it had the animals and so many people could identify every single brand on that, but struggle to name just one of the animals. So I just think that just shows you we are kind of disconnected from nature and we are moving further away. And I think it's great that, you know, there is organizations that's kind of making us aware that, you know, hey, hang on, you know, we are actually all connected and trying to make sure that we realize that before we can still kind of change things and actually survive because that's in the end, you know, our survival is depending on whether we are actually acting on these environmental issues at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, I, and that's so much what we are focused on. And we also, you know, the scale and complexity of the environmental issues that we face means that we need to be thinking about it in so many different and complex ways. So while we want to protect wild places, we also want to take action in places where we can make communities more resilient in part by creating awareness of the fact that that even if you live in an urban setting, you are connected to nature. And, you know, so there are great efforts to have kids involved in, you know, urban gardens and things like that, that are, you know, that's not a big wild outdoor experience, but it's very much a deep connection to nature. And it's so, so important. So really creating that equal access. So that gets to the justice aspect of it. Equal access to that understanding of our connection to nature is such an important commitment for us. Definitely. And I feel it also really takes great leadership to pull that through with organizations. And as the CEO of 1% of the planet, what are some of your goals and aspirations and how do you drive that through the organization as well as your team? Yeah, that's a good big question. I think about that a lot. And I think, you know, what I really try and think about is what are the very few decisions that I should make and the kind of things that are that are important for me to lead on and what are all the many other things that 
should be distributed across our amazing smart team because I really believe that, you know, the the risk of leadership is narrowing too much power into one person and thus like that person is the limiting factor and that's also, you know, not fair and not equitable. So what I try and do is really think through like how can we have as many decisions, as many actions, as much creativity happening in the places where there's the most expertise. And that's often with the newest person hired who's working directly with some of our members. They're going to have insights that are really, really critical to how we operate because they're going to hear like, oh, this is what this member is looking for. And that ladders up to, you know, where we want to think through um, what's our value proposition. We need to be, you know, having that, those decisions and that understanding flowing pretty freely through the organization. So, to answer your question more sort of specifically, I really try and focus on looking ahead. So slightly longer timeline than most of my staff is and thinking through like, where do we want to get to? So I mentioned that we're at a half a billion in giving in US dollars, half a billion US dollars in giving. I want to get us to a billion dollars in giving much faster than we got to the first half billion. So so that's one of the things that I can say and kind of keep a focus on that and keep reminding us of that. And then really distributing the how and the tweaks to that vision and all the things to my awesome team so that we can be so much greater than the sum of the parts because we're really unleashing all of the smarts of the team. And, you know, that's really how I think about our organization, our board, our global network is we want to create the conditions in which all of our stakeholders are able to be as powerful and passionate as they possibly can be. 1% for the Planet has been around now for over two decades. Have you seen the environmental movement evolve during your time at the organization? And what roles does 1% for the Planet actually plays in shaping a sustainable future? Yeah, I think the key evolutions that I have seen is one, a greater sort of consumer interest and demand for being able to use their purchasing dollars to drive change. So there's a lot of good data that consumers, most of whom, like most of us are not able to be like big philanthropists or investors. Most of us live our lives, buy the things that we need to, you know, live our lives and hope that we can, you know, do some good in the world. And so it's really powerful if you if your purchasing dollars can be a way that you can drive change as opposed to just a way that you buy cereal or whatever. And so that shift has really accelerated over the last six to eight years. And I think what it's done for the environmental movement is it's definitely engaged businesses more in seeing that it's an important aspect of the way in which they're operating, that they need to be responsive to that. And it's created, which has had positive outcomes. So more companies thinking about driving change but it's also had the the negative of what we call greenwashing, you know, of companies trying to figure out the cheapest way to, <laughs> you know, indicate signal that they're doing something that they may not really be doing. And so that's been interesting for us in that we are a very credible model. Like we are the opposite of greenwashing. And so we've really actively, you know, tried to make sure that that's really clear is that a business that is making this 1% commitment is not greenwashing. They could greenwash for a lot less and, you know, they would, they would, and that's what they do do. So it's, you know, I think that's been one way that we've really made sure that we're communicating clearly about the credibility of our certification model. I think the other um, trend that we see in that, I think is a, a shift and one that, you know, shapes the way in which we're operating is 
people are freaked out about climate change and feeling a lot of anxiety and uh, and sometimes some kind of overwhelm and paralysis that goes with that. So I think real for us and for me, really leaning into this idea that there's no silver bullet. There's no one way that we can figure out the right thing to do and then do that and everything will be fine. There's daily actions that we need to do repeatedly. It's, you know, it's kind of a act of forming a habit and realizing that the first day you do the habit is not when the change habit happens. It's when you, when it accumulates over time and when you join it into the context of a larger community, also forming a habit that we drive change. So we really try and convey that sense of like positive urgency and the ability to take action. And even if there's still a lot of stuff you have to figure out, like progress, not perfection, like get on the journey and then continue on the journey. And I think that's just been incredibly powerful at this time when it's it's quite easy and understandable to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And I feel a lot of the times, you know, people are overwhelmed because we hear all of the statistics and everything and we're like, oh, you know, we're actually in such a bad place and I need to do everything. And then you start wanting to do everything and you just get burnout. And in the end, then you kind of do less. And that's why I kind of really love the name of 1% for the planet, because even though not everyone can do everything, everyone can do something. So just by by doing that, you know, really has an impact. And I think it was the the British cycling team that where their coach actually said, listen, we need to improve 1% of our training every single day. And over the course of the year, that is like, you know, you're literally going to be three times better. And, you know, just by thinking a little step, how far that can take you in the future. So it's, it's, it's really good to kind of get that perspective. And sometimes we need to give ourselves a little bit more credit because, you know, we think, oh, I'm just doing this one small thing. But, you know, that one small thing over time can really have an impact. Absolutely. And we really see that. I mean, Half a billion dollars, 500 million US dollars in giving. And the components of that, there are more, you know, $500, $100, very small. That's made up of more very small donations than it is of just one or two large donations. So, and that's like the accumulation of little steps adding up to a really big, meaningful number that is driving deep, broad change across the planet. That is so true. And I mean, when I was in primary school, I can still remember we had a teacher, like all of the kids, you know, everyone wanted like note money. No one wanted the coins because, you know, they weren't very valuable. And then she taught us this very valuable lesson where a one cent actually makes a 10 cent full, you know, and a 10 cent make a one, like we were in South Africa, so rand, <laughs> a rand or a dollar, wherever you are. And that just kind of goes more and more. So without that one cent, you can't make the others full. So no matter how small you amount of money you've got, it can fill up something. So it's definitely, definitely worth looking at that as well. Kate, as the CEO, what are some of the challenges that you face in promoting and implementing the 1% for the planet initiatives on a global scale? And how do you address these challenges? Yeah, I think growth, probably some of the challenges are very similar to what any you know, business or nonprofit 
faces as they grow, which is that we have more staff and we, you know, have the need to maintain or create the ways that we can keep everyone aligned in the same direction, even as we're getting more complex. So, you know, at one like basic level, the, some of the challenges that take up my like brain space just have to do with the act of scaling a entity. And I say that not to be kind of boring and bureaucratic, but I think the act of aligning people toward a shared goal is really fundamental to driving any change. And so it's really important to think about how to do that well. There have been so many great efforts historically that have faltered when they have not been able to maintain that alignment toward change. And alignment doesn't mean like lockstep. It means you're continuing to get creative ideas from the edges that pull in and sort of shift your direction. And so really figuring out how to do that well is no small thing. So, you know, that's one challenge, which I love. So I see it as an (laughs) opportunity, but it is a challenge. I think on the, you know, specific point of growing globally, one of the things that we really are attuned to is how can we have a consistent model that is shared globally, but is responsive to different cultural frameworks in different countries. Sometimes those cultural frameworks might be different tax laws. Sometimes it's just different mindsets around philanthropy, different mindsets around impact. And so, and just sometimes like different language or, you know, other, you know, features of a global community. And so the way we are tackling that is right now, all of our staff is based in the U.S. because there's a lot of laws and just bureaucracy associated with establishing a footprint in other countries. We do have a France chapter. So we have a licensed chapter in France. We kind of tested that as a model. We are actually not going to replicate that model, but we are going to move toward having some in-country staff reporting into global so we can maintain that brand and model consistency, even while we're also building in that responsiveness to cultural specificity. So again, it's like a challenge, but also a great opportunity and one that's fun to figure out. Oh, that's great. It sounds really like, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of opportunities for you guys still out there to grow. And can you share with us maybe some of the upcoming projects or initiatives that uh, 1% for the Planet is currently working on? Absolutely. So, you know, I think the biggest thing that we're working on, I would say, is is our goal to go from a half a billion in lifetime giving that we've achieved in 20 years to achieving, you know, a full billion. So doubling that in much less time than that. We'd like to get to that in, you know, say four to five years. So really figuring out how we can build a bigger global community, engage more companies of all sizes in the model. So, you know, it's not a new initiative, but really uh, accelerating how we grow. The other is really growing this Planet Impact Fund. And because that's another philanthropic tool that can help us to drive change through both those investments and the granting that we do annually. So it's a kind of another way that we're able to innovate with environmental philanthropy that we're really psyched about. And it helps us to drive more impact. And then I mentioned that like in-country staff reporting into global. So growing that global footprint is also another big piece of our growth. So it's nice because it's exciting uh, new approaches, but all within the context of expertise and competence that we've been really honing over the last decade or so. 
Oh, it sounds really amazing and so many great opportunities. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on you guys and, you know, seeing this grow and hopefully more organizations can join and get certified. Is there any advice that you can give like individuals or businesses that actually want to make a positive environmental impact, but not kind of sure where to start? Yeah, I love this question because it is what we encounter a lot. So particularly as trends have changed and as more and more companies and individuals are believing in the need to drive environmental change, there's, of course, a lot of advice out there. You should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And one of the things we see is that there can be a tendency to kind of, I'll put it this way, for people to want to, people or companies to want to drive uncertainty to zero, to so to do the research and analysis and find the perfect thing to do. And what we see is that that means that they are very slow to do anything if they do anything at all, because there is no perfect thing to do. And so I think it's really, really important to, and this is one of my kind of mantras is progress, not perfection. Like the act of learning what is the right thing to do, you you learn better by doing stuff, action research. So don't wait until you can get uncertainty to zero because you won't take it action and then repeat that action, pivot that action, learn through doing, be, become part of a community that gives you information and helps you to refine your actions. So we see time and again with our members that they'll take a step and they'll learn through our community. And in five years, they never could have anticipated when they took that first step, what they'd be doing. But but that's the journey and they've gotten there. So I think, I think that's so, so important. And I feel as companies grow as well, and I mean, we've kind of touched on the greenwashing as well. And I mean, I just have so much respect for companies that come out and say, hey, you know what? We are not perfect, but we are trying to make changes. So yes, we're not zero waste or package free or, you know, everything's recyclable, but we are taking these steps and this is our journey. Come with us, you know, let's learn, let's learn about renewable energy. Let's see how can we convert, you know, our fleet to be electric vehicles. And it's also people should realize that, you know, making these changes and especially, you know, after I've been doing quite a lot of environmental reporting and things, you know, like these changes takes time. It's, you can't just say, okay, we're electrifying our fleet overnight and there goes a couple of million dollars in that. So it's things that you need to plan for. And being able to take these people on this journey with you is is good for your business. It's actually good for the environment. And it really helps them also to understand why are you doing certain things? And also why are certain things being prioritized and not others? Because, you know, for some of their customers, maybe it is that, you know, they don't want plastic packaging, but maybe having a product that is, you know, carbon neutral might be better for the planet. So it's all of these questions. And again, like you said, you know, don't aim for the perfection. It's like, just do what it is that you can. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the point of transparency, because I think that's so key. So progress, not perfection and transparency, because I think acting with both of those as kind of tenets really honors consumers who, who are people who are way more capable of complex thinking than I think are you know, is often 
the assumption. And I think people really value being told like, yeah, this isn't perfect, but here's what we're doing. And here's what we're learning. And, and that creates relationship and connection and oftentimes brand loyalty. And so I do think that transparency piece is so, so important. Another last question is, uh, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Such a hard one. Some of them are such micro decisions that I think make such a big difference. But I would say probably the most important decision over the course of my lifetime is to always make time to connect, get my feet on the ground, literally and figuratively sometimes, but like literally to get my feet on the ground and stay connected to nature, um, even though sometimes that's not how I'm actively, you know, working on behalf of Mama Earth, but just keeping myself connected to trees and dirt and mountains and keeps me healthy and grounded and able to, you know, keep doing the work that I do. I love that. And that's so, so important. Digging into our final five. First one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? A publication that I read pretty much cover to cover, so it's not a social media account, it's a print account, is The Atlantic Monthly, which is a magazine, and I just find it to really get my brain going. Awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that her resilience can remind humans living with Mama Earth that we are also resilient and that we can work together. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I think my advice is to do one thing. Don't feel like you have to do everything. Do one thing and then do the next thing. I love that. Such great advice. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? It's very similar to my advice, which is that there's no silver bullet. And so each of us doing one thing repeatedly together is how we drive change, whether it's concerning oceans or climate or whatever issue we care about. And where can people find you and 1% for the planet? 1% for the planet is at 1%fortheplanet.org, all spelled out in letters. And then people, best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So Kate Williams, just search me, CEO of 1% for the planet. And I'm happy to connect with people and respond to messages there. Awesome. And we will link that all up in our show notes as well. So crazy birds, go check and find out all those links. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your journey and the wonderful work that you guys are doing. You know, I've got so much respect for all the work that you guys are doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys grow to that 1 billion and 2 billion. And hopefully we we get to 100 billion as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And I, I really look forward to staying in touch. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, 
Maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.